Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 24, verses 50 through 67. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshipped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. Then they ate their meal, and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, Send me back to my master. But we want Rebekah to stay with us at least ten days, her brother and mother said. Then she can go. But he said, Don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, We'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her, and she replied, Yes, I will go. So then they said goodbye to Rebecca and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her. They gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, had returned from Berleheroi one evening as he was walking and meditating in the fields. He looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And he replied, It is my master. So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've read a number of books and attended lectures from people who have experienced success in their field, and often these books or lectures have some widely applicable takeaways, but a lot of times they're talking about how to capture lightning in a bottle. In other words, the author or speaker will talk about their process towards success and occasionally the failures that will help advance their chosen narrative in specific contexts at a specific time. It often takes a fair amount of work to extract universal principle from the unique circumstances and the alignment of stars that help to make their experience one that is worthy of publication or great publicity. That's true in churches, but I've also experienced that in other fields. One person's anecdotal experience isn't the panacea for every struggling church or school or station or whatever the business. There are always things that you can draw from their experience, but for the most part, their victory can't be copied and pasted into our context or your business without first filtering it through the culture and context of the organization. 
One of the reasons why these stories are lifted up is because they are exceptional, because they are not normative. People invest money in letting others know these experiences and stories because they don't happen every day. Not to say that they can't, it's just they tend not to. I think about one of the things that I learned when I was studying to be a journalist. I think of a quote from a giant in journalism, Walter Cronkite, when somebody asked him about why all the news that they reported seemed to be bad. He said, what do they want us to do? Cover all the cats who didn't get stuck in trees today? Basically, what gets covered isn't what's usual. It's what's unusual. It's news because it's not normal, because it stands out as unique. That's helpful to remember, lest we think that our whole world is burning buildings and fatal shootings. Those things are news because they are not normal. They're news because they are rare. The same is true for many of the love stories that we find in Scripture. There are things that we can extract from these stories of love and connection and passage from Scripture. But it is somewhat difficult to read stories of love in the Bible and think, this is it. This is how I find my partner. This is how I will meet my spouse. One of the reasons these stories are recorded in Scripture is because they involve some degree of nearly miraculous involvement of our God to draw people together. These stories are anecdotal, unique, and rare. There are most certainly great things to be drawn from these stories of love, but it's rarely helpful to look at these stories other than descriptive. We have to look at them as descriptive more than we look at them as prescriptive, and today's love story is no exception. Isaac is the child of Abraham. Abraham, whose name means the father of many, was told in his old age that he and his wife Sarah would have a son who would go on to create a great nation. Sarah laughed at this prospect since she too was elderly. Because the process was taking a minute, they thought they'd help God out a bit, and so Sarah offered her servant Hagar to Abraham to help get this show on the road, so to speak. And so he first had a son by Hagar, and that child's name was Ishmael. This is, by the way, not the process that many faith-based family authors suggest for discovering the keys to a happy and healthy Christian nuclear family. Anyhow, that event did stir some strife in their life, but Abraham and Sarah eventually do fulfill God's promise to them with the birth of Isaac, whose name means laughter because Sarah laughed at God when he said she'd have a baby even though she was old enough to be a great-grandma. They love their Isaac. And the Lord tells Abraham one day that he'll have to take his beloved son up a hill to offer him as a sacrifice. And so they go. They head up on Mount Moriah with all the stuff for a sacrifice, except for the sacrifice. And little Isaac is like, hey, Dad, didn't you forget something? And Abraham was like, nope, son, all set. I'm just going to need you to go ahead and hop up on that burn pile up there while I sharpen my knife. He was ready to do just what God asked, knife aloft in the air. And God stopped the sacrifice to provide a ram instead. Again, this is not the kind of modeling that's lifted up as exemplary in a lot of Christian family literature. Suffice to say, Isaac had been through quite a bit by the time he was of marrying age. And it's fair to say that his life at that point had been somewhat exceptional, and this love connection is no exception to that. After Sarah died, as Abraham was nearing the end of his life, he sent his oldest servant out with an oath. He was to go to the land of Abraham's ancestors and find a wife for Isaac from among the people of that land, but under no circumstances was he to take Isaac there. 
So the servant loaded up ten camels with the kind of expensive gifts that could afford a man a top-shelf wife in those days, and set off for Aram Naharim to see if he could find Isaac a good cousin to marry. There were, as I have mentioned, different times with some obviously different customs. And again, we're not copying and pasting these experiences onto our lives. So Abraham's servant prays when he arrives, and it was about that time that the women would come out to draw water from the local cistern. To Abraham's God, this faithful servant prays, Give me success today. I will ask one of these women, Please give me a drink from your jug. And if she says yes, I will give you a drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen as Isaac's wife. This is how I'll know you have shown unfailing love to my master. And before he finished praying, a lovely young woman named Rebecca approached the well to draw water. And this oath-bound man runs up to see how things might go. Rebecca did exactly what the servant asked of the Lord as a sign. And here's where we again remember that this is descriptive and not prescriptive. It's easy to get caught up in this part of the story and think, okay, Lord, I'm looking for love. Please give me success today. Here I am in a place where there are all sorts of attractive people. I'm going to walk up to one of these people and say hello. And if that person says hello back to me, I'll know that this is the person that I'm going to marry. That's not the universal takeaway from the lesson here. God did this for this servant God may do it for others, but God doesn't do this all the time, and it's probably not a great plan for securing yourself a valentine this year. Abraham's loyal helper finds out who this lovely young woman is, and he finds hospitality with her family. Her dad is the son of Abraham's brother. That might be too close for our comfort, but at the time, it meant she was from the right people. God had done something incredible for the servant and for Abraham. But it wasn't just this couple's love story that was at the center of God's planning. This love story was just one part of God's big love story. It's the central love story of all of history, and that's what we're really going to dig into as we look at these individual love stories over the next couple of weeks. How these incredible and unique stories of sorrow, redirection, faithfulness, and God's sovereign hand help to advance the story of love that echoes throughout eternity. And... Even though I just got done telling you that there are times when you can't always pull specific lessons for specific love stories, you can definitely do that with God's big love story. And so we're going to take some time with our first lesson. God will align circumstances to advance his love story. God will align circumstances to advance his love story. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here, so there's nothing we can say. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshipped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. Then they ate their meal, and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, "'Send me back to my master.' But we want Rebecca to stay with us at least ten days, her brother and mother said. Then she can go. But he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her. And she replied, yes, I will go. 
As I spend time with families doing things like the planning of a funeral, I find it such an honor to hear the stories of these people's lives that I would rarely get to know as closely as a family member will. I'll hear about childhood hobbies and traveling adventures, and if the person is married, I'll ask about how the couple first met and the types of odd circumstances that lead to people meeting and hitting it off, choosing to marry and navigating a future. Those stories are incredible. And if I'm talking to the kids, it often strikes us during the sharing of that story that if those two youth groups hadn't come together for the mixer, or if that group of friends didn't regularly have lunch together at that local lunch counter, or if that relationship just before hadn't broken off at just the right time, then perhaps only a fraction of the people currently having that discussion would even be in the room. When we think about this story and how it's a step to fulfill the promise God made to Abraham, so many of the things had to go just right for this love story to move forward. Abraham and Sarah needed to welcome Isaac into the world at just the right time. Isaac needed to survive a fairly dramatic childhood. The servant needed to head out to the land of Abraham's ancestors at the precise moment when he'd arrive at that watering hole and pray just before Rebekah would be the first woman to make her way to the cistern to draw water. Her response needed to be not only courteous, but generous towards a stranger. The family needed to extend hospitality. Rebecca needed to offer her consent. They all needed to trust God's hand in this situation and believe that he was working towards a greater good. And they did. Maybe warily at first, but they acted with trust. And listen to how this becomes a part of a larger story of love. In Matthew 1, we find a genealogy of Jesus that stretches back to Isaac's father, Abraham. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And we're going to stop there in that genealogy today because we're going to talk about the story of Boaz and Ruth next week. But you can see that all of this is setting up something much bigger than one person's trust in a promise, or another person's faithfulness to an oath, or yet another person's openness to a very unknown betrothal. It's about setting the stage for salvation to enter into the world. And yet, even in the midst of this bigger plan, there is something that God provides through God's people along the way. And that's our second lesson. God's love story is generous with blessing. God's love story is generous with blessing. So they said goodbye to Rebekah and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebekah's childhood nurse went along with her. They gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. If you've ever had the chance to write a letter of recommendation for somebody that you've taught or mentored, you know what a joy that can be. To be able to share stories of the promise, the talent, the hope, the commitment, and the capacity that you see in that person so that someone else who has some authority over their future might also recognize the goodness that you see and increase their opportunity. 
Or maybe you've participated in some other kind of rite of passage, like receiving a driver's license or the graduation from school. There's this hope, whether it's spoken or unspoken, that the time and training and experience will carry them into these next steps of responsibility filled with possibility, and maybe that there would be a sense of protection covering them. Maybe you've participated in something like a wedding toast, where there's some silly and sometimes embarrassing stories shared about individual parts of a couple, but the conclusion is almost always wishes for a joyful and fulfilling life together. In essence, what we're doing in those circumstances is offering a blessing. In some cases, we're appealing to earthly powers and authorities to help someone experience success on their way. But I also see it overtly in things like confirmation or even in the commissioning of folks who are about to go off on a mission trip. We appeal directly to God to take care of those we care about, to help facilitate the faithfulness for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom of God, that their efforts would have a greater impact because the Spirit of God is leading them, that they might experience the joy of finding themselves right in the center of the will of our Creator, the one who loves us beyond measure. It's such a rare part of our culture these days, but it is so incredibly important. I remember way back when we used to do crazy things like drop children off at school regularly, and for a long time when we dropped them off, my wife and I would offer a blessing that's paraphrased from Ephesians chapter 2. And it went something like, remember that you are God's masterpiece. Now go and work in his kingdom. Remember you are God's masterpiece. Now go and work in his kingdom. A couple of our kids may feel too old for that now, and they may think it's a little worn out, but I'll try to sneak it in every once in a while. Remember that you're God's masterpiece. Now go and work in his kingdom, and I'll catch an eye roll or a groan or an uh-huh as they hurry out of the car. I do that partly for the embarrassment factor, but mostly because I absolutely believe that the story of God's love is filled with people who benefit from receiving the prayers of blessing from those who love them and who care about them. I see how the family of Rebecca prayed for her before she departed with Abraham's servant in a way that absolutely aligned with the heart of God and his plan for Rebecca to advance that great love story. Now granted, we probably aren't praying that our kids would make enough babies to populate a nation or that they would conquer whole cities, but again, that is fairly particular to this story. But we can pray that those we love would know God's unconditional love. That they would experience a faith that heals and restores, forgives and saves them for now and into eternity. That they would experience the joy and freedom of living a life in service to Christ. That their lives would be useful to God for advancing the hope and light that Jesus Christ brings into the world. Those prayers will always align with God's heart for God's people. Those prayers for God's blessing will help increase our love for others as well. We cannot spend time bringing people by name before God without God deepening that bond of friendship and love that we have with them. And this is one of the ways that, and here's our third lesson, God's love wraps our stories into his big story. God's love wraps our stories into his big story. Verse 62. Meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, had returned to Beer Lahai Roy, one evening, as he was walking and meditating in the fields, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And he replied, It is my master. 
So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. Now, I don't think that the servant prayed that Rebekah would look at Isaac and go, please let that be Isaac, please let that be Isaac. But even with the arranged nature of their marriage, they discovered comfort and the grace of God in their relationship. Nothing about their story is what we might call perfect, except for the hand of God acting in ways to use these lives that were brought together by providence to move forward a plan of rescue and restoration that would have the power to save the universe. God only needed to save the universe through Jesus once and for all time, but God acts in our lives to share the benefit of that gift all the time, all the time. That isn't abnormal or unusual. God is constantly working in our circumstances to help make this impact of this great big love story even bigger. God will certainly keep God's promises, which might call us to moments of faithfulness to God, both big and small. It might call us to moments of truth to our oaths. It might call us to be open to an adventure that has a number of unknowns. Maybe it's through our great celebrations and joys. Maybe it's through our failures and disappointments. Our own stories are most filled with hope and purpose when we choose to let our lives get wrapped up in God's great big love story. How? First, by recognizing the goodness of God's grace and giving thanks for the loving presence of Jesus Christ in our lives once again. And that's what we do with this love feast. If you have what it is that you would have handy to eat and what you have handy to drink, we're going to take a moment to give thanks to God. We'll offer a prayer of confession, receive God's forgiveness, eat, drink, give our thanks once again. I'll ask you to join with me in praying. Lord, thank you so much for this time with you, for leading and guiding our lives in significance, for drawing us together, letting our paths cross with certain people for a reason, to let the story of your great love be better known to us and to others. Lord, we pray that you would use our lives as you use the lives of Isaac and Rebecca to share the story, to pass on the good news that there is a God who loves and cares and saves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to join with me in the prayer of confession that is found on the screen. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us to now be reconciled with one another, so we can once again dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the covering of pride and put on Christ, so we would forgive and be forgiven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we receive that forgiveness today. Now it's an opportunity for us to be able to eat and drink to the glory of God. And so if you would happen to be in a group of people, take some time to say out loud what you're thankful to God for. And as you do that, that's your chance to have something to eat. And if there are other people with you, give them an opportunity to share what they're thankful for as well, and then they can eat also. As for me, I am thankful that God is bringing about healing to this world that he so dearly loves. And now it's your turn. Let's share together in this love feast.
Thanks so much, Lord, for the opportunity to know your presence, to be here with you, to recognize your goodness, and to offer our praise. We love you. We thank you when we praise you all because you have loved us so dearly first. In Jesus' name, amen.